I don't get it. The pop culture got off my long cast. You are listening to it. Welcome to this. We feature the open-minded musings of two mid-40s curmudgeons staring down the prospect of entertainment relevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry, of something on planet Earth called American Caesar Enterprises, which is an aged local veterinarian who always wears sandals for some reason. I think you need to give yourself more credit, Bill. You actually do stuff with American Caesar Enterprises. You, you have an invoice template. I've seen it. I do. That is so true. I, yeah. I think you need to give, you know, you, you are a kept man, but you're you're so much more than that. So Slightly I think you more. need to, at some point, tell people what, well, you do at the end of the show, so never mind. Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. So who are you? Yeah. Okay. If I only knew, all my problems would be solved. I am Noah Tarno, founder, senior quiz master of the Big Quiz Thing, the trivia game show Spectacular. I am here in San Francisco, California. Bill is in Amsterdam, damn, damn, the Netherlands, lands, lands. And what, is that, magic... what is that from, by the way? Is that a quote? Amsterdam, damn, damn? Yeah. It was like a song or something. Like a, like yeah. a, a, not a nursery rhyme, but like a children's like playground rhyme, I think. Yeah. I just remember being a kid and my first memories of hearing the name Amsterdam was like girls clapping and singing to it. If oh. you know what my memory is talking about here, folks, write to us, email it to us, tweet to us. Answer this mystery, if you if you would, please. If, if you are Noah's dark passenger, if you're his Tyler Durd, you can get right. enough time to, to let us know what My is going Tyler on. Durd. What's going My on inside Tyler of him. You know what? Yeah, Noah's, maybe I should Google it. You know, maybe maybe the maybe Google has all the answers. After you get done beating up somebody in the basement, you say to the camera, "I just wanted to destroy something beautiful." That's how you live your life. Yeah, exactly. Well, only because I've uh, heard you. I've heard you say this this uh, sort of song, this little theme since I moved here. And first, I thought yeah. like I thought it was just Noah being cute, you know, with some of those little Tarnovian make em ups. I, I think the Netherlands lands lands part I made up. Okay, but Amsterdam, damn, damn, sounds familiar. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Google it later. Maybe right. I'll even tweet it later, and you know, the one person who reads my tweets might have the answer to that. Although we, that's usually you, Bill. So it is. No, it's true. Will we'll, you do it off your right burner? Where we started. Will you do it off your burner account, or are you going to do it off your regular account? As a black conservative man, here's my opinion. <laughs> no, um, remember, as a black gay man, that was the one that got right. Committed. Black gay man, right? And it was revealed to be a very not black, very not gay man. It was a, yeah. trolling people. Oh, uh, yeah, That's... I don't know. Amsterdam, damn, damn. It was, it was some nursery rhyme thing. So, Noah, uh, pivoting to our topic this week, we're talking about something that is cold off the presses, my friend, uh, that absolutely no one, I think, is discussing unless you are. I I fucking disagree. You really do. We're very timely with this. I think even though it's technically four years old and digging up, I found think pieces going back to like six months ago. I've seen multiple big podcasts pick up on this this past couple weeks. The time the time's been around the last two weeks about it. It's true. Right. We were struggling to find a topic until like four days ago. And I think we got a perfect one. This this is hot on people's lips. Hot on people's lips. How's that? Oh, boy. Yeah, I got canceled for that one already. I'm I'm already getting uh, denial of service on Twitter for this. But depends which lips you're talking about. Oh, so we are discussing a phenomenon, a thing, an object of business, a publishing platform called Substack. Uh, Substack, baby, Substack. I kept thinking that, you know, it's got the same rhyme. Yeah, so same uh, Substack, which also came up with Athens, Georgia, with the rest of those bands at a formative <laughs> time in American American culture. Um, so maybe you're aware of this, maybe you were. I only heard about Substack. I would say about five weeks ago. Uh, I there's no reason why I would know this otherwise. Um, why although, would, Why would you engage with media? Why would you care about current events? Uh, there's so, but that's the thing. There's so it's going to come up to this. Like there are so many different things. There's so many reasons why one wouldn't. And then now, when you look into this, there may be reasons why one would. Uh, but Substack is an online platform that provides publishing, payment, analytics, and design infrastructure to support subscription newsletters. That is the key phrase here, subscription newsletters. I think that's the easiest way to describe it. So this um, this platform was founded in 19, uh, 19, 1917 uh, with the advent of the pencil and the written page. 2017 by uh, this guy named Chris Best, uh, the co-founder of some Canadian messenger. None of us, none of us have ever heard of her. He used something called Kick, K-I-K, Messenger. Kick, uh, Kick was, Kick actually, it shone very brightly, very briefly. Mm-hmm. And then they were sued and uh, uh, there was 
child exploitation accusations. Wow. It was kind of a, a burn brightly and fade out. And the and the, uh, the the podcast interview I heard with Chris Best, Kara Swisher did it. She she's a great interviewer. Uh, she really you know kind of that really brings him a task on Kick, but says like, look, Kick bombed. What did you learn from Kick? And I will give him credit; he's pretty forthcoming about that. But anyway, yeah. just oh, to clarify. Yeah. Yeah, and not and not to get confused, no, with the the uh, soft rock band from the early early the late nineties called Saigon Kick, who had a radio hit called Love Will, uh, I think Love Will Find a Way, or they were um, soft rock. I feel like Saigon Kick was hair metal. Or making of kicks. Okay. Oh, maybe I'm thinking. It, no, I forget. Anyway, not kicks important. was blow your fuse. Kickstart, no, Kickstart My Heart was a Motley Crue. And a anyway, cereal, too. And a cereal that we know. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, kid tested, mother approved. Dad doesn't give a shit. Uh, Saigon Kick it was, is a glam metal band from Miami ah, formed in okay. 1988. So you're wrong about everything. Uh, yeah. Well, I have a good fact-checking apparatus on my side for this one. Uh, so, yeah, the, the other two principals in this is a guy named Jairaj Sethi, who's the developer. And the other third dude is this guy named Hamish McKenzie, who looks Great like name. he maybe. Yeah, no, they're right. Right. He does. He sounds like he could have been a. Uh, was it Noah? This like a shanty. He could have been like a sea captain in the shanty. Wait, days. A, a sea shanty um, TikTok. A couple yeah, ago. yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, Hamish. Mm-hmm. You don't. They, they don't name enough people Hamish. I'll tell you that. That's for goddamn yeah. sure. Uh, he was a tech reporter, so I assume that he had a lot to do with the, um, not necessarily the logistics, but the purpose and the way and the form and whatnot. So uh, the two guys, Best and McKenzie, describe um, this other thing. Again, these are all names I've never heard of before, but apparently there was a, a, a newsletter platform called Strategery. Uh, they really were using that as influence or as a uh, guide to build this thing after. It's a major inspiration for this platform. Um, so apparently they're again, looking, looking into this, then all these, these doors open up. There's a few competitors that are in the same market at the same time, uh, just doing this very specific niche thing. And there's, there's a company called tiny letter. There's a company called lead. Tiny letter is, is run by MailChimp. Tiny letter is basically MailChimp's newsletter service. And right. Why would MailChimp not try to get it into, you know, that's their, that's their metier. Why would they not try to do this? There's another group called lead, which is spelled L E D E as in the traditional journalism newsroom word. And there's also a open source, kind of a wiki type concept called ghost. Um, so among the top figures on this platform, Substack, uh, who, who can make upwards of seven figure sums from, you know, like a, a subscription patronage type model. You know, you got 10,000 paying subscribers uh, in some cases, you know, the names that you would recognize are Andrew Sullivan, uh, Heather Cox Richardson, uh, Daniel Lavery, who is the, that's the post transition name of the founder of one of the co-founders of The Toast, which was an in, intensely popular and and, and famous culture culture blog through the, I guess it was the mid-20-teens. Um, and, of course, uh, the confrontational asshole Glenn Greenwald, who just tends to piss through, who pissed through all of his credibility years ago and still continues to be around like he's some sort of gadfly. Uh, wow, he's, but he's, he's, he's a pet queer of the right wing at this point yeah i know i know and it, that's it, my yeah. my opinion yeah. we're not talking about glenn, Green, glenn greenwald but it's like this it gives you an idea of like look at the, the, the names i just rattled off between sullivan and lavery yeah. and, i mean that that is yeah. honestly it has nothing they just signed up because that is the you know they're building their own groups they're building their own yeah. newsla- uh, roster they, they, of they have, the, from the well big story in the past weeks was um Charlie Warzel, who was a big editorial writer at the Times, a media guy, left yeah. the Times. Yeah, uh, Barry Weiss, also a, a Times editorialist, and the big story last November was Matt Iglesias, one of the founders of Vox, not only went to Substack, but Substack gave him a two hundred fifty thousand dollar advance on the money he's going to earn and cut some deal with him. And of course, just to make it clear, Substack's model is you charge. I mean, some people have these for free. But you char- I think the minimum is $5 a month or $30 a year, uh, upwards of, I don't know what the most is, but uh, Substack generally, I mean, they have different deals for the Matt Iglesias's of the world, Iglesias's of the world. but uh, generally Substack takes 10%. Yeah. And uh, by the way, you, you mentioned the word advance, that this is in the old school of the, the literary advance where you owe it, yeah. you know, like you have yeah. to earn against it. And you, as some of these people who have been on board... I don't know if it was Roxanne Gay or some of these people are saying that they yeah. wound up they wound up in Hawk because they had to pay you know they underwhelmed they could not get the original advance back and so mm. they broke even in the end you know they did not wind up making the gold some of these people have in the end but once. they're still doing it and the idea is yes. over time yeah you know. you it's right you take it as a loss that sort of thing right, right. Um, 
Yeah, you know, I the last thing I'm going to say about it, because I want to hear what you, I think we both did, the, the bare minimum of research in my case, but my opinion of Substack uh, is that from what I understand, and this is one of the, the sort of more aggregate or, or global issues that I think we'll wind up talking about or, or glancing on, is that Substack ha- doesn't really have, for the most part, what you'd call reporting. This is mostly analysis mm-hmm. and op-ed yeah. type yeah. material. Um, tends tends to be the the, the nature of it. Yeah, yeah no, and I'm not I'm not saying that's bad, but it intersects you know it intersects with another issue. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring I'm kick kick down the line. Uh, yeah, but anyway, with that, no, I, I I'm I'm curious what this meant to you. Uh so I uh, I only pay for one Substack newsletter at the moment, which is Eric Bollert, who um, he's a political writer. I I actually my first job when I was a um, a uh, peon at Rolling Stone. He had a desk next to me for a little while. He was Rolling Stone's like music business writer. Uh, and then he moved into politics. And I used to read him on Salon, but uh, I get a newsletter from him several days a week. And just investigating this more, I think I'm going to sign up for more people. Um, Anne Helen Peterson, who I used to read on BuzzFeed, she's written some great stuff. She's got some free stuff out there I've read. Uh, Robert Criscow, the self-proclaimed dean of rock critics. He's now on Substack, so it's not just the Young Turks. Uh, Matt Taibbi's there, Heather Haverleski. Uh, you mentioned Roxane Gay. A lot of really interesting people, yeah, and I yeah. think that's one of the things that separates Substack from uh, Medium is a big name, you know, where anyone can go on and write anything. It's not just that they have they make it easy to monetize this, theoretically monetize it, get it out to people, but they have made this, especially in the last year or so, made this aggressive play to get writers to pull them away from. The New York Times, BuzzFeed, New York, uh, Vox, what have you, and really give them this freedom to not have editors do their own thing. By the way, that's that's what BuzzFeed reach their did, audiences that, that, and monetize it. Yeah. That was BuzzFeed's model at the beginning. It's ironic that wow. it's happening to them now. I guess, yeah. I I have opinions about how BuzzFeed runs its business from my personal dealings with them, but let's not deal with that right now. Uh, so. What do I think of this? Uh, you know, everyone's really talking about, is this another nail in the coffin of traditional journalism? You know, if all the best writers are leaving the New York Times and New York or whatever, are they going to f- further fall down the rabbit hole? I mean, someone like the New York Times has got a deep bench. The Times can always find another great writer. But, you know, there are existential issues. Like if this becomes the new model of journalism, can something like the New York Times even survive. Now, I feel like, yeah, and people, sorry, and people compare it to Uber or Lyft, what they did to the taxi business. So in that respect, I think there's something positive here because I, I've always felt about Uber and Lyft. I, I mean, I'm not condoning all their business practices, those companies, but there's the sense of taxi companies were run like shit. They treated drivers like shit. So if they can't give drivers what they need, fuck them. They had their chance for decades and decades and decades. Fuck them. And there's a part of me that wants to say that about magazines and newspapers. If they will not pay their writers what they deserve, if they will not give their writers the support they need, if, and this is in the last 20 years, the thrum, the pressure of um, online reporting becomes, you know, get the story out now, not necessarily do the, do the legwork, get the clicks, right? Uh, you got to put SEO in everything. This, this opening paragraph needs to be rewritten so that it's stickier and it's got search engine optimization to it. I mean, this is a lot of pressure on writers. And you hear some people who move to Substack say, oh, it's such a relief. I get to write what I want. Uh, the New Yorker article about this focused on a woman named Haley Nauman, and she had been a writer for, I'm sorry, I can't remember, but I knew her name. And she's saying like, oh my God, I wanted to you know, shoot myself in the head, the pressure I had writing for whoever she was writing for. And now I, I have more freedom to do it. So part of me is like magazines, papers won't help writers, won't serve writers, won't treat them how, they, you know, how their talent deserves to be treated and fuck them. That is pretty much the only positive thing I'm going to say about Substack. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. This could be not just an existential problem for publishing, but it could be an existential problem for democracy. Uh, first of all, on a personal level, I don't want to 
get my news from newsletters that pop in my inbox every day. I don't even want to get my news from newsletters. I have to go to, not all my news, some of it. I love reading Eric Bollard's thing. And because of this, I'm going to sign up for a few more people. It's worth the money. Um, You know, I don't look at authors' bylines. I go to the online magazines that I trust and I see what's there, whether it's Slate, whether it's Vox, New York. I mean, those are some of my favorites, right? And then I'll, other things will pop up, The Atlantic, occasionally I'll read the article in The Times, something like that. Uh, so if it's all about ser- see- seeking out the writers, that's not really the way my brain works. I find it's hard to discover, especially since some of them are free, but for the most part, everything is hidden behind individual paywalls. So I have to make, putting aside how much money I'll have to spend to read a magazine's worth of material, I have to make the decision to consciously seek out each individual writer's platform. Then there's the thing you bring up that it's not, let's get into the existential issue. It's, it's, there's some reporting, but it's hard to report when you don't have the support of, a, you know, a magazine or a newspaper, the lawyers, the copy editors, the editors, fact when you checkers. don't have that support, fact checkers, it's hard to do that. And therefore it becomes... Um, more a place for editorializing. There's a lot of problem with this. Um, it becomes... It accelerates a problem we have with the... the everyone has an opinion. No one has any, any authority. We are siloed in these bubbles of our own opinions. Um, also, on a semi-personal level, and I'll get into that more when we talk about apocalypse, why I think that is a really big problem an existential problem for publishing and democracy. But I also worry about this. If if people only read your work because they like you and they're willing to pay you directly, I worry we are going to be in a world where you won't be able to get any kind of creative job unless you are first a successful self-marketer. I get that it's better for writers to be able to write what they want without annoying or onerous editorial oversight, but A, that leads to chaos because anyone can write anything, and B, only the lucky few will get traction, right? Only the people who either are already famous or win the viral lottery will get any traction. And if you can't master that skill of self-promotion, you are unhirable in a creative marketplace. If this becomes all publishing. Um, I mean, maybe when we talked about Patreon a couple months ago, I was almost uniformly positive, maybe that should have occurred to me then, right? That Patreon is, if that becomes a standard model for creative work, then anyone who doesn't have marketing skills or viral luck or or prepackaged fame uh, can't even get out of the starting gate. Um, and then I re- go back to when I was in publishing. I was a copy editor, right? I was an editor. I wasn't really a writer. And this is something we talk about a lot. If culture no longer had any, has any gatekeepers, we lose a lot. Um, there's no editing. There's no perfecting. Everything becomes mediocre. I mean, yes, some of these writers are great, but even the great writers could always use an editorial hand. Uh, also, there's the fact that there's no mentoring, right? Like, there's no there's no legacy. You're right. Right. Like, who do you talk to? Who's your community? I mean, I guess there's community, but there's no one explicitly the older editor or writer mentoring the younger editor or writer. I mean, if you talk to a lot of the great journalists over time, they will talk about how I was, you know, low-level staff at whatever magazine, and -and so-and-so had been there for 8 billion years, you know, taught me a thing or two. It's funny. I think back to when I was a cog at Rolling Stone and I wanted to be a music critic. I met Robert Criscow a few times, and he was a sour, old, mean asshole, so not him, (laughs) but there there were people with pretty much Robert Criscow's level of authority in my mind, who did mentor me. It's a guy named Anthony DeCurtis, who I love. And man, he was the nicest guy. He took me under his wing. I learned a lot from him. I learned I did want to be a music critic, but that's another story. Uh, there's a hilarious quote, a Politico article about uh, Substack. I'm just like, really? Like, you're really saying this? That says, quote, it's enough to make... So, so you look at Substacks and even the good writers, like, it's too long. It needs to be edited down. And they say, it's enough to make a professional lament the passing of the dictatorial editor. But to my astonishment, readers seem not to mind. And I'm like, where the fuck have you been? Have you listened to a podcast? We complain about this all the time. These super hit podcasts that, you know, 
the, the, the hosts talk for 45 minutes about nothing before they get to the topic, right? Clearly, readers don't mind. And I think this is a problem because standards are lower. There's no... I mean, yes, the gatekeepers sometimes stifle imagination. They sometimes limit the diversity of voices. These are issues. But opening up as the Wild West, I don't think is the optimal solution. So I think it's bad. Uh, I will get in apocalypse later. I'll get into why I think it's really bad. But, you know, getting back to my first point, maybe it is old media's fault. Maybe don't blame Substack, right? They let this happen uh, because they saw technology coming and they refused to adapt. They kept tr treating their writers and editors like shit. So, you know, the Ubers and Lyfts and, yes, Substacks are going to come into the breach, give um, the, the peons, the cogs, more freedom. But that freedom will result in bigger problems that afflict society, for lack of a less dramatic term. So does that all make sense to you? It, it does. But, you know, the thing is that the traditional news gathering apparatuses be it the tv networks be it the uh, print journalism they, they had an inelastic product and they had monopoly on delivering the news for you know uh, as long as as long as gutenberg made uh, pulp you know and, and and put ink on it but in america you know the tradition of the paper goes back to um i don't know the first flyers common sense paul richard's almanac sure. these things along I'm the way sure. um you know, and at one I mean, point, there were newsletters of a, of a sort, probably, you know, in colonial times. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. Yeah. yeah, going going far back. Anything that could be mass produced and or hand scrivened. Uh, but I'm talking about like even at one point in New York, you know, how many paper? There was the Mirror, the Examiner, the Times, the Herald Tribune. Um, you know, they're, they're, I think the Eagle was one at one point. Uh, but there were so many different papers because, the you know, again. was Brooklyn. The Sun was a big one in the late 1800s. You always okay. read about the Sun. Yeah, but that's amazing is that but papers, especially what I call papers, had an inelastic product. So the thing is, is that they their editors, uh, the way the editors did business, the way the appeal of writers to flock to these. And you're talking about until very recently. It was because well, the, inter the Internet made it. I mean, that you don't need the gatekeepers anymore in so many ways. I mean, but you saw the proliferation of, of blogs in the early 2000s. I mean, this is this is a perfection for lack of a better term of uh, the blog uh, concept in a way yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but the thing is it's like uh, up all at once um this hegemony over information the 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 brand the fact that like you know again the way disney is able to pay their employees next to nothing because there's a line of people behind them who will gladly work for shitty wages and yeah. terrible conditions because they want to work yeah. at disney that was uh, the way that, that, that that's true of, of all huge name companies i mean yes. i mentioned before i worked at rolling stone they paid me fucking peanuts they could have paid me they could have paid my job nothing, and there probably would have been a line out the door. And that, and now they are. They, they, it was it was unpaid interns from wealthy families on the East Coast. That's eventually where the labor pool went to. But then the same thing with the New York Times. But it's like the paper of record. Uh, you know, it was only the best of the best who got to go there. The only the best of the best that got to go to the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post. These you know the, the, these names of which there is only one. You know there there's is there are three what I would say world class news gathering organizations on planet Earth. Those are the three of them. That's it. And you can say that they've had they've suffered some dings over the time, but they are still the gold standard. Uh, uh, you know, a reputation and endurance. So the thing is, they were able to afford to pay their authors less. You know, and and the article I was reading, um, the I forget the guy who is he's, he's the media equation guy now at the New York Times. He was saying that Substack came to him with a uh, uh, you know an offer that far exceeded his New York Times. You know, New York Times. There's no way they could match what Substack would have paid him. But he said that it's like I opted to stay, whereas that guy Wurzel decided to take the money. He decided, he goes, you know what, I could do more. I'd rather have the imprimatur of the Times. I'd rather have the strength of the newsroom, the strength of the reputation, and this venue to say what I'm going to say. For this much money, it, that means as much as the freedom of Substack, but without all the rest mm. of that prestige. Um, you know, and, the th and if you're asking me, I some people know this, some people don't. I worked in print journalism for 15 years. I, I got into it in school and I kept it up until 2009, 2010, until I changed careers. And it's like I was never a person who like grew up thinking I want to be in a newspaper. But I worked in a bunch of them over the years, not big ones. I couldn't even get to the big show. I couldn't get up to the, the you know, I wanted to work at the uh, Times was my dream job for, I would say, 10 years and i didn't I get your dream job was to work at marvel comics well that 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 they killed that inside of me back in uh, uh 1996 so that died a long right. time ago um it, it's it's because they they made 
someone else other than Steve Rogers, Captain America. How dare they? How yeah. dare they? I'm going to kill Wyatt Russell. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you believe people? What is wrong with What me? are you going to do? What are you going to do? Uh, so the yeah. thing is, is that I, I happen to associate those three brands, the, the Washington Post, New York Times, and Wall Street Journal, as the only one of its kind, even today, even even ten years from now, I don't think that you're still going to get over. We're, it's in, we're still in in the throes of our lifetime that you know we got this. Those are the three names of journalism, and everyone who's making some sort of journalism is reacting to what the three of those entities do and have done. And you know, most of the times, these J schools, whether it was Columbia or um, uh, Georgetown, I think has one. I think there's a couple of the Ivies had J schools. They were kicking out people to go directly into it was it was a pipeline from the Ivies directly to these three newspapers that it was, a you know, once you it was like going to Exeter or Groton meant that you'd be taking care of the rest of your life and a pipeline of, of affluence along the way. Um, you know, and the thing is, it's like, first of all, The New York Times and The Washington Post and The Wall Street Journal aren't making as much as they used to. You know, and a lot of people don't know this, but in The New York Times case, the Sulzberger slash Oaks families, uh, who were the f- controlling interest, I would say, since the 19-teens, those families have been living off the New York Times trust. You, you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of nieces and nephews and grandchildren have been dipping into it, living uh, the life of idle wealth because of all the money the New York Times made in the early part of the century. So uh, they no longer have that war chest because it's been mooched off of by so many Salzburg. <laughs> no, it's true. So many Salzburgers and Oxes yeah. have eaten yeah. into it. So the thing is, the New York Times doesn't have the uh, near limitless, you know, they don't have an endowment the way they used to. So all of a sudden, money's that matters. They, they're pinching pennies now, whereas if they had lived more frugally in the 70s and 80s, that would not have been the case. You know, but there's no way you could have predicted what was going to happen. So that's the thing. No, when you talk about... Uh, the blogs turning around. You're talking about gatekeepers. You're talking about uh, uh, gatekeeperless journalism. The thing is that I was there just as you were, and th- there was, I would say, maybe a two year span where all of a sudden people start like they thought, "Holy shit, we got to adapt to this." But they, all, it, it wasn't a problem until all of a sudden it was fatal cancer. That's the thing. It's like pe- people. It, you're talking about guys who, and when I say guys, I'm absolutely saying guys. That's who I worked for. Were mostly men, mostly white men. Their whole thing was they acted glacially slowly, and that was what they were trained to do. They were absolutely instructed to do so, and they came up in the middle part of the century. You hurry up and wait. You don't act too quickly, and you have a million budget meetings during the day over you know, editorial content. You don't make any decisions, and it's, it was corporate to a fault, even if there was no corporate structure, because that's what these guys were doing. So there was no way that somebody who's 62 years old from Syosset was going to be the guy who is able to re, you know, turn around and, and, and you know, completely change the way in which traditional news interacts with the internet. They just couldn't do it, and they got killed by it. It was fatal. It's lethal to some degree. You can talk about the death of classified ads, whatever. I don't want to bore everybody with that. So, you know, the thing is, it's like this has, you know, what I think we could both agree that people monetizing, you know, you talk about some good writers, you know, that you're t- the people now, like, no problem at all. Do you talk about uh, subsidizing their craft if you believe what they say? I think that's great. You know, and I'll rehash the Patreon article very briefly, uh, the Patreon episode we did. I use Patreon extensively. And the thing is, I subsidize podcasts. I subsidize um, YouTube channels. I subsidize uh, people who draw. And it's like, uh, there. It, it is a great way for me to pay directly to people who I want to see from on a regular basis. And, you know, this, this is that, except I personally don't have this isn't the way i'm going to express my patronage it's there's nothing on substack that i need to pay for of course i haven't really seen i I, yeah i disagree there are thousands of newsletters so there's something out there you would read and enjoy i mean like i said i am only paying eric bollert right now yeah and when we get off i'm probably going to start paying you know two or three other people you know, I, re- I read the, and again, I'm, I read the New York Times, I read the Washington Post, and I read the New Yorker, and I pay for all three of those. And I, up until recently, I paid for the Wall Fucking Street Journal, old too. man. Old man. Maybe so. Maybe so. But I, I also paid for the Wall, the Wall Street Journal, but I actually stopped because I, I, the, I could not, in good conscience, subsidize the um, editorial desk, which is yeah. fully in the throes of Mike Lindellism. Well, they might as well be injecting bleach. That's how bad the Washington... The, the Wall really? Street, Wall Street yeah. Journal is that Wall bad? Street okay. Wall Street Journal is filled with their consp- their their op ed desk is completely at the the reporters who actually do the work and the editors are hideously embarrassed by how doctrinarian 
and party line MAGA, the op-ed disc is. And that's all from Rupert. That all comes down from News yeah. Corp. So that's not yeah. their fault. Yeah. That's, it's a horrible corporate edict that they uh, had to go toe the line and be Trumpist about everything. Uh, I tuned out the journal a couple years ago. The Times, you know, every week it's some new article like, well, the two sides left and right can't agree on anything. All the thing and, uh, you know, the problems like and every bad faith thing they mention is right wing, but they say it's a both sides issue. Right. It's just I'm enough. Well, you know, Trump tried to overturn the election. On the other hand, the left wing, you know, they don't like Dr. Seuss like their equivalent. So. I'll bring up again, you know, to me, which I thought was one of the most important things is that uh, some of the supporters of this were touting the fact that this could be a replacement, a sort of teething ring for local journalism. And a lot of people, again, yeah. aren't really aware of the fact that what has died in America, then the national news or news gathering orgs have caught have caught a fatal uh, herpy out of this. They, they're the ones really <laughs> suffering with the problem. But the fact is that the, all local news gathering organizations have been completely blighted. It's like the boll weevil. The, what is it, the potato famine, the boll weevil in Ireland? Yeah. There's no crop. Uh, no, boll weevil was a problem down south. Okay. Ireland was a fungus. A fungus, yeah. The, the potato that, famine was a fungus, yeah. So you don't have any more people who do local covering. You're talking about community boards up to even like state legislatures in some cases. Not all states, but certainly some states. They're just, that that whole sector of journalism has been wiped out. Um, mm -hmm. Like it had cholera. It's crazy. And so the thing is, people are saying maybe this would take the place of that. But it's like, so far, you're still seeing op-eds. So far, you're still seeing yeah. analysis. There isn't shoe leather journalism. And no. ultimately, if you told there's some, but it's a minority. Yeah, right. If you told me that that this was a way to to cultivate a whole new generation of shoe le shoe leather journalists, right. I would say by all means that that'd be, honestly we have such a what is it a berry berry we have a fucking uh, uh, you know vitamin deficiency that is incredible for this exact kind of thing in America and what we need is local low level journalism shoe leather journalism. This isn't the answer to that, but the thing is you I can't make that uh, substack problem. But it's like, I think it's being sort of sold a little bit. Uh, uh, we're being sold a bill of goods by anyone claiming that it could be that. When I, and likely, it most likely, even in its best days, its most lucrative days, it will not be that. I left my longtime home at a legacy media outlet at Rolling Stone uh, to go to a reader-supported model. And um, as you noted in my announcement, I pointed out uh, that basically the part of the reasoning was that I thought the traditional model for supporting journalism, which was based on the idea that reporters worked for big companies or wealthy patrons, uh, who in turn gave them a share of advertising or, or subscription revenue, uh, that that was no longer uh, really working for journalism at a fundamental level. Why is Substack getting some traction? Four years now, but it seems to be the hot thing right now. It's it's the Think Piece article uh, topic du jour, du week, du month, du year. Um, why? Uh, I mean, as always, we got at that a little earlier. And uh, why is it uh, I mean, they've gotten some investment money. I know Andreessen Horowitz gave them a big infusion recently, several tens of millions of dollars. So what what makes Substack the possible future of journalism? And again, why Substack and not Medium or, or Tiny tiny Letter or whatever the others are? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I, I could come at it from two different angles here, which is to understand. If you get, and this may be just global, the way I'm thinking about it, uh, not even thinking of a brand and so much as this, is the, I, I'm hearing about this whole concept from Substack. And so I can't really compare it to Tiny Letter, Lead, et cetera, et cetera. But look, I mean, as a consumer, as, as the person with a, the, you know, a stack of dollar bills in your hand, uh, you, you get the chance to boutique your, your favorite niche writer uh, or favorite niche writers, you know, and, and, and like reassemble your dream team of, of the, your Heather Haverleskis and your your Roxanne's gay and, and all these people along the way. And you get to recreate the toast again with like Daniel Lavery and, and Grace Lavery. They put together, I think Daniel Lavery's was Shatner Chatner, which looks like it's a lot of, you know, arch comedy pieces. Not for me, but I, I could see why you'd want to get up in that. Um, Daniel Lavery. Wait, it's a newsletter all about. No, no, William no. It's, a, the, it's just the it's the name is a goof. It's called the Shatner Chatner. I think it's just. Is it about to... William Shatner? Or... No, no, not at all. I just think that that's so, the again that's the goof. Somebody I came don't up. Get it's it. so it's so what's ironic. The, what's it's the so joke if it's not about it's, William? What Shatner. do you want, man? It's postmodernism. I don't know it's what not, the fuck. But how's that postmodern? I don't get it. Don't this is some, yeah, see, this is like when people like Homestar Runner just throw out a random name and somehow that's a joke. Well, that's what I it is. That crap. What do you want me to say? 
uh, you know, like that, there's your buyer end is that you get to, you, know, you get to niche, you get this personal uh, interaction where you feel like you're getting, uh, you know, something dashed off from the iPad of your favorite creator, uh, you know, and you do feel like you're, you're getting a boutique experience. And, you know, as a producer of that, of that, you know, here you are uh, thinking that you do, you, you have maybe more avenues at your disposal than you've ever had before. And no, if you did, in fact, have all those those mentors you were talking about, those people you'd come up, what they would tell you is what it was like in the 70s and 80s making news. And now you can say, well, I'm 35 and I'm making news today. And it's like, I have the option to go make $150,000 to get an offer from Substack. And it's like, I know for a fact that none of my mentors ever made that much money. You know, they could barely pay car, they could barely buy a house and, you know, in this Connecticut suburbs and commute back and forth or whatever the fuck, pay for a Volvo station wagon with diesel glow plugs, you know, and that was the best they can hope for. And here you are living like a rock star on as much as $200,000 a year. You know, that's way more than any normal natural journalism uh, uh, payroll uh, would ever afford you. I, I, well, no, there are the superstars. I'm sure yeah, but the New York Times pays Thomas Friedman more than $200,000 a year. Right, but how many of their freaking reporters? The guy who's in the uh, you know who's in the Beijing desk isn't making that much money yeah, along no, the way, you know. It's not, it's but uh, you know, and I think that you know there, there's the money. The money's coming from you. The money's going to them. And then also, I think there is this idea that um, I don't do this for a living. I don't have uh, editors. Even when I worked in newspapers. I was a designer. I didn't write. And so I had a different relationship with editors because I wasn't really, uh, you know, the idea of the criticism, the idea of having my work sculpted and changed, um, you know, the voice taken away. I never had that happen to me. So, but I do understand how much writers bristle at editorial oversight. And to, mm. to, to think that this is just... They the bristle at bad editorial oversight. Yeah, okay. Right, right, right. But I mean, it, it's, it's tough regardless. Good, good writers appreciate good editing. At the end, they do, but it's tougher. It's it makes it it's a son of a bitch to slog through. You're happier at the end, but you do have to get through it. It's it's contentious, even when it works well. It is contentious. Uh, I get that. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm okay. pretty sure about that. I've known enough reporters right. over my time. I've, uh, I as if I but we're going to disagree on this. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I, think, I, you know, I, I will tell you this. I will. I will. It's often contentious. I will not say it's always contentious. Sure. Sure. Okay. okay. Anyway, uh, that's I'd say those are three things. How that would apply to other things, I don't necessarily know what would uh, recommend Substack, other than the fact that if they came to me in particular with you know a six a six figure sum as an offer along the way, I'd say, oh, Substack's my favorite. The hell with the uh, you know letter <laughs> letter monkey or word caterpillar or whatever the fuck the right, other systems right. are. You know. Yeah. Anyway, word so what do you think? Uh, yeah. I mean, like I mentioned before. I think this has appealed to the writers and in some respect, the readers in the somewhat largely to, to a considerable extent, true impression that the media Titans have been abusing their writers, um, that the media Titans have become sclerotic and ideologically blinkered, um, you know, and, and freedom is needed. I mean, people, I mean, I mentioned it before my little, my mini rant about the times, and then you have similar things on the right. I mean, I read about uh, Dana Loesch, that horrible woman from the NRA. Uh, she had a newsletter on Tiny Letter, I believe, and went to Substack because she's whining that I don't know, Tiny Letter did something to her. Maybe it shut her down. But like they're silencing conservative voices, which they're not, but whatever. Uh, so much for the free market, huh? Uh, so I think a lot of people feel like they need to break out on their own to keep this to keep companies from tamping them down, whether it's the right-wing whine of they're silencing me or the left-wing whine of they are, you know, they're not changing with the times as fast or as flexible as I need them to be. Um, and I can also tell you, like I mentioned before, I saw this, you know, I, I tried being a writer, but I was more an editor, but I saw this in my years as, a, as an editor is that it is exhausting and often disheartening and humiliating to write clickbait, Right. And that's what that woman, Haley Nauman, I might be getting her name wrong, I'm sorry, uh, said is that, you know, it, it's, I think I'm getting her name wrong, I apologize. It's exhausting and it's not what you want to do and to have to, to be able to get off that hamster wheel and write basically your own blog, your own thoughts, your own inspirations, more or less at your own pace uh, is very freeing, creatively very rewarding. And if you can make a living doing that, that's a real gift. So that's why people like it. Again, I haven't gotten to the meat of why I think that might not be worth it from a, uh, a 
societal point of view, even from a writing point of view. Now, I think part of the reason readers like it a lot is we are in a society, a media ecosystem where people are, they glom more onto a famous name, to stars. I mean, we elected a game show host president. We're talking about people want Dwayne Johnson to run for president. People want Matthew McConaughey to run for governor of Texas. I mean, celebrity is, I've said this, remember years ago, I said the two things that attract attention, if you're marketing something, are celebrities and sex. And then I, I change that to say, often not sex, it's celebrities, right? That is the most powerful force in media. So if you're selling writing journalism based on the name of the person writing it, you, you, I mean, if you get those names, which Substack has been very savvy about, that's what separates it from the mediums and the tiny letters of the world, that they made that investment in getting these big names, this, this murderer's row of hot writers that people have read in, uh, you know, a dozen other top places. Uh, so people want that. People are excited by that. And of course, the media attention snowballs upon itself that one one art, the New Yorker does an article, so someone else does an article, so Slate does a podcast, so we do a podcast for what that's worth. I also think, again, and this is a little dangerous, people want opinion more than they want the shoe leather reporting. So basically, it's a newsletter service. Uh, anyone can join, uh, start a newsletter, build an email list pretty inexpensively, um, and you can also sort of generate income doing that because you can offer to your subscribers uh, to actually pay. The young wonk inside Noah Tarno, how would he have felt about Substack and things of the like? Well, it's interesting because thinking about this question, I happened upon an idea that I'm surprised I've never, that I can recall brought up for an earlier topic in the podcast. So I think I would have engaged with Substack to some extent. You know, it's the hot thing. I've heard about it. I liked reading about news, not as much as I do now, not as much as I did in my 20s, but in my teens to some extent. And I think I would have liked it more than I like it now because being young and feeling invincible and feeling like, get out of the way, old man, I wouldn't have had nearly the existential fear for what this can do to society. I certainly wouldn't have the discomfort with how it takes down the gatekeepers, makes my former career, something I still have passion for as a copy editor, you know, gets it closer and closer to irrelevance, right? I would not have had that fear that I have now. So I would have embraced it more. And I'm amazed that I've never said that before with a topic that I would have liked it more in my 20s because the feeling, the, the young feeling of invincibility and the lack of sympathy with the way things used to be would have made me less concerned about this thing's negative effects from an existential point of view. I'm amazed I've never realized that before. So that's a way of saying I would have liked this. I may, I, maybe I would have liked it the same, but I would have had less discomfort with adopting something new because I'd be younger and more flexible and less attached to the past and less fear of how it's going to destroy us because I'm young. I can't be, I'm invincible. I'm having fun. I'm drinking Pepsi, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, Noah Turner's punk rock. What is it? Break stuff? I forget what that old ethos was. Something about... Uh... Uh, move fast and break things. Yeah, that's and it. Get sued. High. That's another thing, right? Another reason you need gatekeepers and another reason you need this institutional support. Like, what happens when you get sued? Like, it might suck to work for, you know, the Wall Street Journal because they, they, they push and pull you and, and, and crack the whip on you. But if you get sued for libel, you have a lawyer. And, you know, you're part of a team that could defend you. I mean, Substack actually is setting up sort of services uh, like uh, libel support, but I don't know how far that's going to go. Every but. newspaper has libel insurance that is just part yeah. of that's yeah, default. Lawyers yeah. to vet stuff before it's published. Yeah. So you know if you're stepping into a landmine and saying, don't do this, you're going to regret it. And, no, it's true. And they I'm sure sometimes they're like, this is bullshit. I want to regret it. Sometimes they're like, oh, really? Okay, thank you. That was good advice. You know where I'm going to go with this one is that I – look, I started reading Newsday on Long Island in the 1980s, a uh, tabloid newspaper. Um, pretty pretty quiet. Uh, I mean it was a big one. It had a gigantic subscriber base. And they, you know, started up by reading the comics, but I, you know, read the front section of the news and the entertainment, the movie reviews and all those things. That's one of the ways I began interacting with uh, culture was through New York Newsday. 
Um, so I was I was a young adopter of newspapers where I realized that a lot of people our age actually never picked up newspapers. I mean, some of them did, obviously, but a lot of them never did. I always thought I was in a minority, not just that I worked in newspapers, but of the people who got their news from the newspaper. I think that it looked old fashioned in the 80s and it only got more old fashioned looking as we went on. Uh, so, I mean, as a kid, there was something about that. It's another authority figure. You know, it's a gatekeeper. It's this idea. It's a brand. And the way my parents revered what Newsday was, because, you know, I don't think you necessarily got New York Times uh, out in the suburbs. Newsday was what applied because that was essentially local news. And let's not forget how, you know, what an enormously dense metropolitan area Long Island itself was as a bedroom community for New York. So in a way, it was like New York 2.0. Um, I was really wedded to it early, the idea of a traditional news organization. You know, and I sent a resume to Newsday before I came to New York City. I did briefly wanted to, I would have worked for Newsday just because I had that brand that I had uh, identified with as a kid. Um, so a combination of that and the fact that I worked in publishing as a, as a, a page hack on Quark Express and Photoshop for 15 years. I mean, I was calcified pretty early into that position, but I mean, I'm an old man now. I'm some like, I'm completely ossified. You know, I, I look like a troll after the sun has come up. No, I've turned to stone and I'm, I'm out under a bridge right now. You've turned to dust. You've turned to dust. So Chris, what do you do? Uh, I'm the CEO of Substack. Uh, we make it simple to start a paid newsletter, and also you can put audio in it now. Is the rise of Substack and the possibility that it will dominate media, it is the new, you know, structure of journalism, is that possibility uh, a sign of the apocalypse? Uh, no, you know, I, I'm really interested to see where you go with it because I don't think it is. I think that this is just... Uh, you can't, you can't, you can't get any more balkanized and siloed than we already are. It's oh, just a, I disagree. I, 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 I just think it's going to be more phenomenon of the same thing. And again, you're chipping away at uh, what you know. Every quarter, the news, the New York Times, for instance, advertise. Uh, they tell you in a small piece how their revenue from advertising goes down, but their subscriber base goes up. You know, and that's essentially yeah. what the future is going to be. They're just going to have to do what everyone else is doing there's a paywall you are personally subsidizing the the news that you're getting it's just that you're paying your patreon of the new york times to to give them give you topless photos of dave carr or i don't know whoever else <laughs> he's dead now but you know what i mean what? uh it's, I'm just, I'm, it's like it's like only fans except for news no it's i'm just saying but you can okay. just you could pay only the new york times directly news. without having to go to Substack no, because you're going to pay all I of see. these people at once oh, rather than just subsidize one yeah. creator you know, uh, you want to see you want to see David Brooks naked? Okay, good luck. One, with one that. of the uh, Virginia Heffernan, yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> one of the Is Virginia things, Heffernan writing for the Times? Not anymore. Not anymore. Oh, uh, or, I'm thinking of yeah. Maggie uh, Maggie Haberman. That's what I'm thinking of. Yes, Maggie, Maggie Haberman. Haberman. Yes. Okay. One of the things I I really hate uh, when people online rage, and I understand. I mean, I'll, I'll qualify a little bit. It's like remember when the New York Times posted that that bullshit by tom cotton about four or five months ago and it's like that was absolutely uh reprehensible it was a poor decision it was bad take i they know better blah 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 the thing is is that people get on the new york times for those decisions or barry weiss was another one barry weiss is another fucking axe handle that people you know the new york times published her and they published uh, David Brooks and all these other conservatives for a while. And I mean, they still do. David Brooks still writes there. There's a couple of these people. And people in referring to the New York Times would say New York Times is a right wing rag. New York Times is blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it is not. It is not. And, I, and any more than I would say, that, like, you know, I brought up the Wall Street Journal before to impugn their op-ed desk. And it's like, I think when people are talking about the personality of a paper, they're talking about the op-ed desk. There's a hard wall between the news gathering apparatus mm -hmm. and the op-ed desk in, all the time. In some places, not in other places. No, but in, in the this Times case, and, the, and the Journal, yes. That's all that matters. And it's like to, to yeah. tar the fact that, yes, I'm, I'm not going to tell you that the Tom Cotton piece that you can... You can save the decisions. You can't. It, it was terrible. But it's like that is, it, it's, you know, you can cut that out. It's it, You can cut that part out and, you know, you give it clean margins. The tumor is gone and the rest of the organism is healthy. That's the way it goes. The same thing with Barry Weiss. And so I, I think that people, the anger that you have, not you, I'm saying the anger that some people have about these huge um, 
you know, overseers, these, again, they're gatekeepers, but they're also sentinels. They, they are there to, to, to look for the truth and to, to throw them out. Or to, or to hunt down mutants, one of the two. Right, right. <laughs> hunt down mutants. Sorry. You say sentinels. I know, right. I know. Uh, it's like, but like, like we can't start ab- abandoning traditional newsrooms. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that's a sign of the apocalypse. I'm just, I'm sharpening this axe for this other thing. But like, you can't talk about this online with, with Twitter, and I can't. I'm not going to push back at people and tell them they're wrong. I just think that it's it's a ridiculous conceit that you're going to lump in, you know, an entire. I just I feel like people don't understand how newspapers work. They just like to react to the heat. And again, shame on the Times for publishing cotton. But you can't throw out the Times with the bathwater just because they did. Anyway, what, what about you? What, what what is your apocalyptic tiding on this one? Yeah, I mean, I disagree with you. That the, the the balkanization can't be worse. I think this has real potential to widen the gulf, to seal up the silos, to extra balkanize the Balkans um, by by replacing news with opinion. And they say high-minded, there's going to be journalism and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, going through some random substacks, there is some, but I think it's going to hew towards the other thing, especially since it's largely a personality model. Um, you're going to be signing up for people, not sources. And you're signing up. It's not landing on your front stoop you know bundled up by a kid on a bicycle it is you seek it out <laughs> i love that visual. this is That's great. but this is this is how cable news and, and talk radio has done this you seek it out it doesn't come to you you seek it out because there are so many options and this improves the problem uh increases the problem and it's funny when i was first reading this i wrote down in my notes right well it's better than twitter because it's not just a hundred whatever many characters twitter allows now i always lose track it's, you know, there's thoughts. And in many cases, there's, you know, these are good writers writing good stuff. So there's more to it. But then someone brought up a point why it might be, uh, why it might be worse than Twitter is that there's no links. You know, Twitter can take you places. Twitter can, can, you know, doesn't seal up the silo. Many tweets, there's a path outside the silo. And yes, it might be taking you to something of the same opinion. And it usually often is, but but these newsletters, in some ways, are hermetically sealed, right? They yeah. come in your inbox, you read them, you're done. There's nothing to link to. Wait I mean, for the next one. But, yeah, wait for the next one. Right, wait for the next one, right. Um, proviso here. It's not a sign of the apocalypse if Substack fails. And I think that might be possible because the criticism I've heard is, and like I mentioned before, like, you know, your 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 media budget will be very large to... a. a to use Substack to get the amount of writing you you might get now. So if Substack fails, if it's a flash in the pan, it's not. Sorry, that was just a a sidebar. Let me continue. I've talked about the problem of no gatekeepers, anarchy, quality will go down, society's level of uh, tolerance for, you know, not perfection, but but professionalism. Even though it's getting great writers now, I mean, they were dropping the bucket of however many thousand people have newsletters now. So that could be a problem. But here's the big one. There is a reason why freedom of the press is uh, a hallmark of American democracy or, or intended to be a hallmark Sacrosanct, of yes. It is a, and there is a reason why right-wing fascists attack the press because that's their way of breaking down democracy. The press has a vital role as a check on power, as a loyal opposition to government. A healthy press is needed for a healthy democracy. And if we get to a world where Substack is everything and there are not institutions, there aren't newsrooms, there aren't editors, there aren't mentoring, there aren't lawyers, there isn't that support, there isn't that collective, and I say the word collective because it also has to do with unions. That's one way how you get healthy business, in my opinion. If it's if we're all broken apart, if we're all isolated, if it's like how overmasters treated slaves, to, you know, keep the people from the same tribe apart so they can't really, you know, collaborate and defeat us. I mean, this or is the way Amazon treated their workers in Alabama? Right. Well, crushing unions is a similar thing. It, it, this, this, these threads running through the dark sides of American history since you know the colonial era. If you don't have that then these structures are unable to moderate 
the, the, the power structure. And the power structure inevitably, almost inevitably maybe, veers towards abuse. Uh, Substack, like the Ubers and Lyfts, it was interesting hearing this interview with Chris Best, is in some ways trying to have it both ways and absolve themselves of this responsibility. So in this interview Kara Swisher had with Chris Best, she's being a little snarky on him. She's like, oh, I've seen that like there are ways to bundle, you know, you're, you're, you're introducing ways to bundle newsletters and you can get, you know, curated bundle of five newsletters. She's like, by the way, that's called a magazine. <laughs> yes, we have that. You know, you've called, invented yeah. magazines. People joke about it. You've invented newspapers. Um, yeah. And the term and, and, and Best's argument against it, he's like, okay, he said, there's not, we're not going to be doing that bundling. The bundling is going to be the newsletters getting together on their own. Like we're going to facilitate their ability to get together, but we're not going to decide who gets together. And the term he used was we're going to self-federate. And and I, I see a lot in that phrase. Self-federate is basically like they're basically going to need to lead their own American revolution against the British if they want to correct the abuses of the overarching power structure. So I don't see the Substack model, at least as it exists now, to be something that contributes to a healthy press that is necessary, vital to democracy. So if Substack does indeed become the default for American press, American journalism, and I'm not saying it will, again, I, I think there's a chance it will collapse, but if it does, I think we lose something very important to American democracy. So, you know, that's somewhat apocalyptic to my mind. I also don't, I don't come from a media background. I don't have a degree in journalism or, or writing or anything. I'm actually an architect in my, in my primary job. Um, and I live in Louisville, Kentucky right now. So I, I think this is proof that if you have something to say, Substack allows you to do this from anywhere, from any start. Noah, let's wrap up. Tell me about jealousy. I'm trying to figure how this would intersect with feelings of envy in your case. Oh, absolutely. I'm jealous because it is, like I said before, I fear that this will lead to, it will be impossible to to have a creative job without having already been a successful self-marketer or at least a very lucky you know, viral lottery winner. And those have been two things I've never been able to crack to my satisfaction. Most people can't. It's, it's a nearly, right, impo- it's a low can. angle shot. You know, I, I've made a creative career out of a unceasing, tireless working, be some good luck, but not in the self-marketing sphere. C, privilege, and D, um, What's D? Oh, a, you know, gradual acceptance that I'm never going to be famous. Uh, so, but I'm jealous that this is, this seems to be a model that, you know, I'm jealous of all these writers who can get this following. I just, you know, I dropped in and suddenly I have thousands of subscribers, you know? Well, it's because you had a leg up in certain respects and it's, I've had some like, I've had many legs up in my life, but those are the legs I've never had up. And I'm jealous of those legs because I am, I am a creative person who is somewhat ego driven. So I, I am jealous of, of the the stars of Substack and the the expectations of Substack. Well, I, I I there's no element of jealousy. Well, look, I'm I not ever trying to look. I've never really been a writer other than my own scripts for YouTube videos or you know essays I've made about film topics or whatever. I've never tried to be a commentator, a cultural commentariat. And you know, again, anything I have to say can be told in the Twitter space. That's how unimportant what I have to say is. Um, so, I mean, there, it really can't, uh, inspire any feeling of jealousy because I'm, I'm not trying to make a buck out of it. You know, I, 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 I don't not sympathize with the people who really are, first of all, are brilliant and should be wealthy based on that brilliance in the old school way that people used to become commodities based on how important what they had to say was when we had a monoculture. Uh, you know, in some respects, we got some of the greatest writers ever living today. I mean, they still hear, it's just that they imagine what they could have done. Actually, a lot of cases they're queer, they're black. Maybe they would not have prospered yeah. in the sixties and seventies well, at all. But we, we we haven't hit that hard enough. Is that's another problem with the gatekeepers? Is that they're not, you know, this allows more diversity of thought and definitely. So yeah, I guess yeah. That's right, a right, right. Thing. You should but, have, but you know, I, I kind of wonder if the solution isn't for, you know, 
open all the gates and let anyone jump in. Maybe it's for the gatekeepers to to open their minds a little, but and change change who the gatekeepers are. Yeah, I mean that's why that's why you make open their minds, start mentoring the different people, so that the different people over time can you know you know earn their way up to being the gatekeepers themselves. I mean that's how it happens, right? Don't just hire the white guys out of Harvard. Hire the queer black people out of a variety of places. Let the queer black people go to Harvard so that they can go there. This is why you have uh, Black Ed or the New York Times. I mean this is this is why these things are seen as a real uh, yeah real real thing. I hope that helps. Well, I, I, you know, the one thing I do create on on the regular, no, I realize that my my ongoing years long process of the Daily Cobra Commander, I cannot monetize it because, of course, I cannot own, I cannot make money off of what is owned by a toy company. So, if anything, if you started yeah. talking to me about memes and whatnot, who who could be who could monetize a meme, uh, then maybe we would start to wake up that idea of jealousy along the way. But uh, it doesn't really apply to me. And finally, Noah, tell me about the Felonian scale. Uh, where does Substack fall on our XYZ axis of all things Jimmy Fallop? Uh, so, Fallopian scale. So I brought up before that this is making me realize maybe I shouldn't have been so uh, enthusiastic about Patreon because maybe that could lead us down some dark paths. Uh, so I'm going to say this is Patreon divided by two. So wherever Patreon is, I guess we don't have to do Z axis. If it's just, uh, I could just be a X, a single continuum. Yeah, right. Wherever yeah. Patreon is, uh, Substack is half of that. And if Substack is proven to, to, to be a success and it takes over, it's going to just keep falling. It's going to tumble down that list as its success grows. Or if it barely catches on, just becomes this tiny little niche side thing that is harmless and no one cares about, it's going to move up because I'm going to enjoy reading some of these writers and and feel good about supporting them and, and kind of like it when I get them in their inbox. So, you know, for now, it's it's Patreon divided by two, but but TBD final grade. How about that? No, I'm going to do a little uh, 4D chess on you, and I too am going to use Patreon. Nice. I'm going to use Patreon as one of my factors. I'm going to say that this is Patreon X, Patreon Times cameo, in terms of you know, okay. you're, you know, <laughs> that's interesting. I like it, that. I, I like it's, it's like you know these it, you know it's really easy. I mean, I can't compare this to to acai bowls. I mean, there's just there's not a comparison. But in terms of like looking back at this last kind of technology type you know media venue, and those are the last two topics we sort of talked about were Patreon and Cameo, or among the last few. And Cameo had the um, you know Cameos had the. Uh, the like you said, the celebrity. There's a little bit of that cult of the name, cult of the person. The idea there's intimacy. There, hey, look, there he is. There's Deep Roy saying my name, and I I might have mentioned this on the air, but some of my friends on Twitter got me a cameo from Deep Roy, the little person actor who played the snail rider in uh, Never Ending Story. Um, you know, but really, we, I remember him as playing all the Oompa Loompas. In yeah, yeah, most a recently, real shitty Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But he was great at though. Fifteen years ago. But it's like you know, the, but Patreon is more about the Patreon, maybe all about the work, but Cameo is sort of about the you know, you getting a minute and a half, two minute message yeah. from no, from, I like uh, that. Yeah. from Lawrence Taylor of the New York Jets or something. So for all I know, Lawrence Taylor way, from WrestleMania Eleven. I uh, do. You, do you uh, the one Substack? No, I would sign up for would be Lawrence Taylor's newsletter. That's what I'd want to hear from. Or Mark Mark Gastineau of the New York Jets from the 1980s. See, I, I disagree. I bet you there's a bunch of Substacks you would really enjoy because you value some of these writers. I'm sure it is, but I get I get honestly I'm already crammed with the freaking New Yorker. It takes me a month to get through. It's already so thick. right. Just, but but if you value these writers, you're you know they're exclusive to Substack now. Right? Sure. they're not also writing for these other things. No, I know. Matt Iglesias found co-founded Vox, and now well, I believe he's still doing a podcast for them, but like he's he can't write for them anymore. I mean, it's part of his deal with Substack. And he was right. an exceptional Puerto Rican crooner throughout most of the late 20th century, too. He was an incredible voice. Uh, a lot of a lot of our mothers thought he was sexy back in the day. I think you're thinking of Julio Iglesias. Oh, I and, think you're And right. wait a minute, wait a minute. Was Julio... Julio's not Puerto Rican, he's Spanish. Oh, he's Spanish? Okay. Bregman. You are racist. Yeah, that, that makes me racist. Well, everybody, if you'd like to also, tell me... Also, he spelled Iglesias. He spells Iglesias differently. That's different. If you'd like to tell me personally uh, or listen to past instances of me being racialist and then tell me how I am being racist to you in the future and the damage that I'm giving you, uh, what you should do is look You're at past, giving me? <laughs> look at past episodes of this show on Spotify, <laughs> Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. I, I, know, I know how to push his buttons. Yeah, right. Exactly. I know the jokes that push <laughs> You have no idea what happened there, but I do. And you he does. Tweet to us at Show. Write to us, noanbilldunkedit at gmail.com. Give us a review on any of those fine services. That's how people 
find more podcasts through uh, referrals and whatnot. I am on Twitter at William Scurry, bending the conventions of popular culture uh, and and redefining the written word every single day. Uh, my Bill, video. Co- you, you mentioned you mentioned you mentioned Daily Cobra Commander. Yes. Let's, let's plug it here again. I mean, I think I love Daily Cobra Commander. Tell people what we're talking about and why they should. <laughs> Well, for no additional charge, if you subscribe to my Twitter feed, uh, you get a daily meme where I take a single frame, a cell frame from the 1980s G.I. Joe cartoon with Cobra Commander, and I put uh, make a meme out of it with impact type, white impact type, and it is more or less just a quote from Cobra Commander. Maybe it's an out-of-context response to what's going on in the episode, or maybe it's something that's topical, or maybe it's just some ridiculous bullshit. It's it's a combination of Cobra Commander as a as a boring specious manager, maybe a bored suburbanite, maybe someone who's curious, maybe someone who's exhausted or tired. It's hard to say. It's whatever I'm feeling when I sit down to make these memes up. But like I said, it it, it gets added at no cost to your subscription price. Uh, so it is just one price for the entire thing when you sign up for uh, Bill Scurry Plus on Twitter. Scary Plus. Anyway, Noah, tell us about where can we find you. Bill Scurry's OnlyFans. There's no nudity, but there's plenty of Cobra Command. Scrolly fans. Scroll, scroll. Wow, that was torture. No. Uh, I'm all about the big quiz thing, bigquizthing.com, the finest in corporate and private trivia events, virtual right now. Uh, in person again soon in the fall. And uh, we have a week, sign up for our mailing list. So we have a weekly trivia email. <laughs> It's not on Substack, but it does go to your inbox, and it's entertaining, and hopefully it's not stirring democracy. And, um, yeah, we don't have any public events coming up, more or less, and we do fundraisers all the time. But, uh, you know, inquire today about hiring us for your own event, whether a corporate party, team-building exercise, um, fundraiser, birthday party, bar bat mitzvah, you name it. We've mastered the art of virtual trivia, having a lot of fun with it. Uh, so learn more today. Get a personal consultation at BigQuizThing.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at BigQuizThing. All right, everybody. So until next week, we, we don't, don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2021.